We're in Zephaniah, and it's a very good book, very simple book. Fits a pattern of one of the major prophets, or the major prophets. You continue to see God's just wrath is coming, but you also read in these prophetic books, God's salvation is coming. We've seen that throughout. It's been balanced, and so we're going to look at that a little bit further tonight in our studies. Um, as we're doing this, we have three more books after this. We're looking at Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And there is a lot of meat in those texts, and I look forward to that. Uh, Zephaniah, if I told you Zephaniah is a book in the Bible, would you have known it? You know, you, some people say, oh, it's just one of those trick questions. Wait, I remember, Zephaniah is one of the 12 prophets. And so this is one of those books that a lot of people... Overlook. In fact, you could say probably, and you can tell me this, um, I've been sitting in pews listening to preachers my whole life, and I know some of that includes listening to myself now, uh, but listening to preachers my whole life, and I've never heard a sermon on Zephaniah. So, And there's a lot of these books on the 12 prophets I've just never heard a sermon on. And that might be probably a number of reasons for it. Preaching on Zephaniah is no easy task. And some of these books that we look at, looking at them and studying them. I was talking to Garland before I got up here, and Garland says, I'm ready, I'm ready to... He had the knowledge and study, and I said, good, then you can preach. Because I feel like I need another two or three hours of study in this great book uh, to draw out. I feel like I'm just going to be covering a little bit of, of the surface. And I encourage you to go and read, yes, there's three chapters here, to look at the text, look at the structure, look at how God speaks. The book of, the, of Zephaniah is amazing. You have the prophet uh, Zephaniah speaking here, but it's God that's speaking the whole time throughout the book of Zephaniah. You know, we just did the book of Habakkuk, and you had some dialogue there. You have Habakkuk asking God questions, waiting on God. God replies to him. Habakkuk again asking God a question, God replying to him, and then Habakkuk finishes with a very beautiful song, praising God for revealing to him how he works, because Habakkuk had some very difficult questions that a lot of people are asking today. When we look at the book of Zephaniah, what stands out to me is the plea throughout the book is to seek the Lord, to be restored to him. And I think the most fascinating thing about the book of Zephaniah is in the very first verse. And that is is that it sets a time and a setting which if you know your Bible, you'll be able to place Zephaniah in this period and you might be wondering, wait a minute, I thought the opposite was going on than what Zephaniah is talking about. We'll get to that in a moment as we look at this, this, uh, this book of Zephaniah. Clearly, throughout the Bible, we see this. We're reminded all the time that blessed are those who seek God because you will find Him. You know that. Jesus says in Matthew 7, chapter 7, in the great Sermon on the Mount, He says, seek and you will find. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, the things you need in life, will be added to you and given to you. Matthew chapter 6. And we read that there, there in, in the end of that section on the Sermon on the Mount. Another famous sermon that comes to mind is Paul's sermon on the Areopagus as he's speaking to those in Athens. And you've heard me refer to that sermon just as much as I refer to the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot to it and a lot of blessing, a lot of relevancy today. In that, 
Paul says, no one is far, so far from God that they cannot seek Him and find Him. And that's the truth. So you are blessed for seeking God because the Bible promises you, Christ promises you, God promises you, if you seek Him, you will find Him. The problem is a lot of people today aren't doing that. Why not? Maybe we'll think about that a little bit, as we, a little bit more as we go along. Look at this passage right here. Zephaniah, if you have your Bible, chapter 1 and verse 1. I know I got it on the screen. Most of it's going to be up there, but you might want to look on your own text as well. Zephaniah 1 and verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. You might be reading that and say, what is that? why is that relevant to us today? Why is that a key to understanding the rest of the book? And, well, we'll get to that in a moment. First of all, everything you want to know and everything that we do know about Zephaniah comes from this verse. So, we know he had a father. And we know his father's name. And we know his grandfather's name. And his great-grandfather's name and so forth. We know that he's, you know, a real man living in this time period. But notice the time period. Who is the king? Josiah. And you know about King Josiah. He was a righteous king. He was a good king. He was the last one. For that matter, he was probably the best. And what I see, he was even more faithful and diligent than David and Solomon combined. And everything that he did to restore Judah and restore Jerusalem. By this time, the Assyrian Empire has taken away Israel and a number of the cities of Judah as well. They've been preserved from that. But Zephaniah is during the king of Josiah. He's a good king. He became king at age 8. He dies at the age of 39. And the only description in the Bible of him ever disobeying God is when he went out to oppose Pharaoh Necho. And he dies in battle. And it was just kind of a disappointment. You could have had another 40 years of serving and leading Judah and Jerusalem in such, in a, such a great direction. But Josiah does that. And what's interesting about this is that Zephaniah is living in this time. Is he at the beginning of the time in which Zephaniah is in power? Evidently he has help, of course, uh, an eight-year-old leading a nation um, completely. He's evidently going to need help with that. But his helpers are evidently faithful to God and leading him in which way to go. But Zephaniah, he, he talks in this period, and it's a time of prosperity. It's a time in which the Assyrian Empire has become weak. They're not really a threat anymore. They're not a threat to anybody. Who is the threat? The surrounding nations around Judah are becoming strong. Everything's being reestablished. And yet Zephaniah comes here as a prophet and he says God's judgment is coming against these nations and it's coming against Judah. Why against Judah? Because they have established the the worship. They even found God's commandments that were hidden in God's temple. How does that happen? They didn't know where they were, so they find them, and Josiah reads them, and he causes and brings about these great reforms. And you're thinking, well, certainly God, he's not going to continue with this, what we've been reading about, this judgment that is coming. But God knows what they're going to do. This time of great revival, and I think that is the most shocking thing, is the cold context and everything we're reading about Zephaniah fitting into this time of prosperity and coming to God and coming back to him. But things are not quite as they seem. Well, look at that. Other things we think about here, I, I look at, 
and I see another constant message here, is to turn to God in humility and lowliness and righteousness. Zephaniah means Yahweh has protected. And Yahweh has protected. He has brought Israel and Judah along. And here, when they have rebelled, God has said, okay, if you rebel, you, you leave my protection. And they have endured that. They've seen what happens. And in this time, when people should be coming back to God, we see that he still has to stand up. We even see this in the book of Ezekiel. That the people were still wicked, despite the reforms, despite the reminder to come back to God. They were going back to pagan practices, even if they were hiding them. They were worshiping other gods. They were practicing idolatry, even in the time of Josiah's reform. And I think that's a very disturbing thing. And as I reflect upon this, I think about our own country, and I wonder about what things are going to happen, and certain books of the Bible seem to fit at certain times. Right now, I don't know where we fit as far as what's going on in our country uh, in, in times. So, are we in a time of great corruption? Yeah, I think we see that. Are we in a time when you know, the United States is a great endangered a threat because of immorality and unrighteousness. You do have a lot of people giving credence to God and honoring Him with their lips, but are we living that way? You know, we're looking at Thanksgiving coming up Thursday. How many people are going to be saying, you know what, I'm thankful for my family and for my food and for my country, and I'm thankful for my job and for my money. And who are you thankful to? That's right. You're thankful to God. But a lot of people, it seems to, to miss that because, you know, turn on the TV on Thanksgiving, you'll hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's time to be thankful. And most of the TV stations, if you're watching, what is the, the, the parade, the Macy's parade? Is it Macy's? All right. So if you're watching that parade today, you don't ever hear anybody saying, oh, we're thankful. I'm thankful for this, this, and this. Thankful to who? And so those things are, that make me wonder, that we, the faithful, we seek God. And in doing that, we're told, and I think this is probably the key verse that I would look at tonight, in Zephaniah 2 and verse 3, we seek the Lord to do His just commands. We follow Him, and following Him and being faithful to God means I'm going to obey Him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my words, you will keep my commandments. There in John chapter 14, 21 to 24, you cannot say that you believe, really believe, and not have a living faith or that you really love God and you don't act it out. Anybody who says they believe and they don't follow God with all their heart has a dead faith. Anyone who says, I love God but doesn't keep His commandments, he's a liar, according to 1 John. We know this. We look around at the world today and we see no one keeps their own morals, but nobody ever has. No matter how limit you, you shrink your morals down to, I've yet to find anybody, whether they, what they believe and what their faith, what their background is, tell me, do you keep your morals, what you believe perfectly? You, ever, you think it's wrong to lie? Yes. You think it's wrong to slander people? Yes. Have you ever slandered somebody? Yes. Have you ever lied? Yes, I've done that. And yet we continue to see people say, well, we should have equal rights and respect one another, and yet people in the whole process want to degrade others and put them down. They want to act in violence. They want to curse and lash out at others. 
all this hypocrisy. And all it tells me every time I turn the TV on is that we need saving. We need a Savior. We need to be rescued. And we're going to get to the point where we're going to see that. You know, in Habakkuk, Habakkuk says again, be silent before the Lord. He's in His holy temple. Look at Zephaniah right here. Let's get into the text a little bit further. Chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Notice that phrase because it's throughout the book of Zephaniah. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guest. This is not a good sacrifice here. This is an appeasement for justice. For those who have done evil and wicked, they brought it upon themselves. They made themselves the sacrifice. There's no one to save them anymore. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials. Who's that? The officials, the bureaucrats, the politicians, and the king's sons, and all who array themselves in foreign attire. They sound a little compromised, don't they? Arrayed in foreign attire. They're dressed like somebody else. They're dressed like the nations. They want to become like the nations. They want to worship someone else. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. And so it's from the top to the officials, to the leaders, to the king's sons who have all this wealth and power who are wicked down to the man who is a thief who crosses into another man's house and takes what is his and does so with violence and with fraud. But that wouldn't describe today, would it? The great day is near. We continue to read the day of the Lord. Look right here. Chapter 1, 14 through 17. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening, hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. This day that's coming, because the Babylonians, there's a group we looked at in the book of uh, before in Habakkuk, and we've read it in other texts. The Chaldeans are rising up. And they're going to come against Jerusalem. They're going to eventually destroy it. Despite the time period. Remember, this is in the time of Josiah that Zephaniah is saying the great day of the Lord is coming. It's going to be bitter. You need to be reminded of that. He says the mighty man cries aloud there. Why would mighty men be crying? You have a description of battle here. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. You know, you read these prophets and you, and you begin and you start reading the beginning of them and you're thinking, oh, this is one of those doom and gloom prophets. Well, I'm going to lead you that way, but that's not the way it ends. Every one of these books ends with hope. Hope of restoration. Hope of something better. But I think the main thing is the reminder here. Even Christ in His preaching constantly was reminding people, you don't want any part of the hellfire. And He was warning people all the time. Anybody who's a good friend to you or a good parent is going to warn you. So even in good times, God reminds humanity to seek Him. It might seem good now, but if you don't repent, you're going to face justice. You're going to bring harm on yourself. Here's that main passage again. 
During the good days of Josiah, again, God's judgment on the surrounding nations in Judah is coming, and the call from God is to seek the Lord and to be humble. To be humble, to humiliate yourself, to make yourself lowly before God, to respect Him again, to know who He is, to give Him your time, your thoughts, your life. Zephaniah 2 and verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do His just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. You see, the day is still coming, even though there will be some who are righteous, some who will still follow and seek after God. And he says, humble yourself. Maybe you'll be hidden from it. And we know from the study in the book, studying the Bible, and looking at what happened when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, that there are some who survive. God continues on. God promises to restore a nation. And it's interesting. He, res- he promises to store- restore one nation. Judah, the Jews. What happens to the Edomites? We've already read the book of Obadiah. Edom is coming to a complete end. What happened to the Assyrian Empire? Where is the Assyrian Empire or their nation today? It's gone, completely gone. Syria is not Assyria. Assyria is completely gone. Where is Babylon? Where are the Moabites? There's still a nation today called the Egyptians, but that's not the same people. Zephaniah 2 and verse 7, The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah. There will be a remnant. We continue to read that throughout the 12 12 prophets. A small group that God is going to preserve. His people, on which they shall graze. They're going to take possession. They're going to take this possession. They shall graze. And in the houses of Eshkelon, they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God shall be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. And my emphasis there again is God is going to restore his people, restore the house of Judah and their fortunes. Look at verse 9. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. And that's true. The land of the Philistines belonged and it was conquered and it belonged to Israel. Of course, under Roman rule and part of it during the time of Jesus. But they had come back and the land of the Philistines and the Edomites and the Moabites And the Ammonites were all under the Jews. So here we have this prophetic book predicting these things before they come to pass hundreds of years in the future, and it does. Why did God need to promise restoration? Especially in a time of restoration. You're looking at Josiah, you have hope, maybe things are changing, but you need to repent, you need to be mindful, you need to humble yourselves, you need to seek out God. Because there is another, there's a day of the Lord coming, justice is coming, but there will be a greater restoration after that. And ultimately, what you're going to see here is that the ultimate restoration comes in Jesus Christ. Zephaniah chapter 3. I love the descriptions here because what we're reading in these texts many times is knowing who our God is. He is loving and He is just. He's both all the time. Zephaniah 3 and verses 3 through 5. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They leave nothing till the morning. What does that sound like? Wolves and lions, they devour everything. Now is a talk and a description of God's justice against Jerusalem because 
even in this time of restoration, there are the faults among them. It talks about the prophets. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. You have a contrast to the wicked people that are living, even in this time, in Jerusalem, to God. Recognize who He is. He is righteous. There's no injustice in Him. And He never fails. We go a little bit further into this last chapter of Zephaniah. We read this. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds of which you have rebelled against me. What will happen? For I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones. These who boast are going to be removed from you. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Not on, mount, on the mountain of Jerusalem or in God's place of His people, His holy people, you will no longer be haughty. You'll be humble. But I will leave in you amidst a people humble and lonely. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down like a flock. They shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. A time of peace is coming. Oh, where are we today? Where are the humble and the lowly in times of prosperity? And this is what I'm thinking about in the book of Zephaniah. I think about all the things we have here in the United States, the blessings we have. Our nice homes, the economy, our cars, the clothes that we have time of prosperity. But if we don't humble and make ourselves lowly before God, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for what may be coming. The Lord will rejoice. And I think this is the most beautiful part of Zephaniah. And I love these descriptions in the Bible when you got God rejoicing, but not just that. In Zephaniah, you have God singing. Singing over His people, the Lord. Do we ever read about in the Bible about Jesus singing? Yes, after the Lord's Supper, he sang with his disciples and he went out into the garden where he was betrayed. I think about the prophecy in Psalm 22 where the Lord sings. But in this passage is prediction of Jesus Christ. It's also in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12 where the statement is acquired and it is associated with Jesus prophetically where the passage says, I will sing praises to you, Lord, in the midst of the congregation. Christ sings. Now I want us to look here at the Lord singing. There's a call here from Zephaniah. There's a call from God. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. You sing, Jerusalem. You sing God's people. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel. Who is the King of Israel? The King of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. And when will that day come? It's now among God's people in the church. We are God's people. God is in our, in our midst. 
We are his temple. He dwells among us. And it will definitely be in completion of his kingdom when Christ comes back. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That would be amazing. See God's rejoicing and his gladness in his people. That's what he wants. Throughout the Bible, we see God wants a holy people. First Peter emphasizes that. He will quiet us by his love. He will exalt over us with loud singing. I look forward to that. These are the last two verses of Zephaniah. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame. Notice this description. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. We've seen that before. The outcasts will be gathered. A remnant will be formed. I believe this is, these are references to the church. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Has that happened? Does all the earth know of Christ? Do they know of his kingdom? Do they know of the church? At that time I will bring you in and at that and. At the time when I gather you together, where I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. God will restore his people. Do we believe this? Zephaniah is a great book of hope. The ultimate message here is even in times of prosperity that we seek God and we do it with humility. Tonight we give an invitation if anybody needs to obey the gospel. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 tells us how that we need to die to ourselves, be buried in baptism, and rise to the newness of, of life. That's what God calls us to do, to obediently and faithfully imitate the gospel of what Jesus did. Jesus died and he was buried and he resurrected. And God calls us to do the same, die to ourselves, be buried in water, be resurrected to a new life. Tonight, if you need to obey the gospel, if you need prayers, we encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.